Hello, everybody. My name is Daniel Prince, and I am the host of the Once Bitten podcast. This is a podcast focused on Bitcoin. It's my mission to interview as many people as I can around the different aspects of Bitcoin and help people understand exactly what Bitcoin could mean for them and for their families and for their future. I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you so much for listening. Hey guys, welcome to this edition of the Once Bitten podcast. This is a very strange one for me. I just sat down with Pascal Najadi, who was I was put in touch with by a big shout out to at Pringlestacks on Twitter. Uh, Mr. Najadi has also appeared on Robert Breedlove's show and more recently Marty Bent's show where that interview has already been taken down from Twitter, uh, from YouTube, excuse me. Why was it taken down? Well, because Pascal has filed a criminal complaint against a politician in Switzerland that lied about the COVID vaccination openly on television to the Swiss citizens. Five minutes before we hit record, Alain Berset was announced as the sitting president of Switzerland. So now Pascal finds himself filing a criminal complaint against the president of Switzerland. This story was unfolding as we were actually talking. We go down many different rabbit holes. I hope you enjoy this show. Um, yeah, I, I'm trying to get this one out as soon as I can. This was literally end the recording and get this one edited and uploaded. So enjoy, freaks. And please reach out to Pascal if there's any way that you can help or follow his lead in your own country. If you have seen something that needs acting on, uh, people's lives have been put in risk and many, many have suffered. Uh, before we get into the interview, I'll just do a quick shill because I'm sure you want to get to this one. Uh, Stack, Bitcoin. Pascal is a Bitcoiner. You'll be shocked to learn. Uh, you can use Relay, who are actually in Switzerland, in the country in which uh, Pascal comes from. Relay.ch forward slash Bitten. SwanBitcoin.com in the US. And HODL, HODL for peer-to-peer -peer trading. Don't forget about Coin Corner. You can do Coin Corner, Sterling, and Euro. They've got you covered. You can set up your DCAs with any of those exchanges or apps, or with HODL, HODL, no KYC, peer-to-peer. -peer. If you want to try a CoinJoin service, just download wasabiwallet.io on your laptop. Create a wallet, hit receive, copy that address, run some coins through it. Is this a service that you might want to start using? Do your own research, see what other services are out there. It's something that will protect you a little bit more with your privacy, with your Bitcoin. Make sure you have stacked safely and you have control. This is the last and final point I want to make sure you understand. Please take control of your coins. Get the BitBox 02 Bitcoin only edition hardware wallet, which is brought to you by another Swiss company, shiftcrypto.ch forward slash Bitten. Hit that link and then use the code Bitten at checkout for a 5% discount. Plan your 2023 very, very well. Get to some conferences. If you want to get over to Miami, you can use the code BITTEN for 10% discount on all of your tickets, purchases at checkout. And if you want to get to BTC Prague in June, it's going to be a huge one on our own shores here, this side of the pond. You can head to btcprague.com, use the code BITTEN at checkout. Those tickets are very competitively priced. Here's my rip with Pascal. 
record and go for it. Okay, we're here with uh, Pascal Najadi. Thank you, Pascal, for jumping on the call so quickly after us being introduced uh, via Twitter, which is always the best way. Thank you very much. Uh, to meet. Nice to meet you uh, as well. Uh, it's the beauty about Twitter. It's so fast that people meet so quickly. I had last night uh, an interview with Marty Bent, uh, which was introduced to me like 10 minutes before on Twitter. Yeah. And uh, 10 minutes later, we were on a on a video call that has been taken down, by the way, by YouTube, because we talked about uh, the vaccines, the COVID vaccine problem and Switzerland and my criminal charges and pressing against the president of Switzerland. He just got elected today president of Switzerland. And uh, the YouTube video has been taken down half an hour ago. Unbelievable. Well, no, it's not. It's very believable. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, let's hope this. I can get this um, episode out. I will just post it audio, and hopefully, Marty and I share a certain amount of listeners. I, I'm nowhere near as big as Marty, unfortunately. But it's great that you are in the Bitcoin circle, and you're a Bitcoin er. Uh, I know you've been on Rob's uh, podcast as well, so welcome to the Once Bitten Show. Nice to uh, have you on uh, a European Bitcoin podcast. Uh, so I guess we should start with kind of a rundown of who you are for those people that are unaware of you and, and your work. Why don't you give us uh, like a little kind of introduction to your past and what's led up to what is happening at this precise moment in time? Okay, thank you, uh, Daniel. Um, where do we start? I think I start with uh, the typical short bio, but really short um for the audience to understand where I, i'm now talking from you from switzerland for security reasons i cannot tell you exactly which city uh, i come to that later in a minute but um i was born and raised in the central part of switzerland uh in 67 i'm 55 years old my mother is swiss uh, my father late father was persian uh, he was an industrialist and a banker he formed several banks uh, one famous one is in Malaysia, still today, number four, Arab Malaysian Bank or AmBank Group, uh, about a $35 billion asset bank. Um, the, the, the professional courses took me, well, first took me to boarding school and the college in Switzerland, and then two years of military service in the Air Force of Switzerland, the Swiss Air Force. Um, then I did the typical stuff. I went 87 into UBS as an intern. The internship was one year and eight months, uh, going through capital markets, going through Forex, international departments, payments. That was the most boring one. You had, to, you had to key in payment slips the whole day. But it was important to see how it works. And um, after that, uh, I got bored with banking. I, I thought it was not my profession Although my father pushed me to become a banker because he had founded a few banks, I didn't like it. I found it really boring, and uh, I, I I preferred to do public relations. So I hired up at the number one PR firm in Switzerland. That's Klaus Stilka AG, still alive today, still going strong, and was became the PR assistant of the founder Klaus Stilka. He taught me how to write, how to speak, how not to speak. <laughs> Uh, I learned a lot carrying his bags. 
for about two years. And then I was poached by a bank. They wanted me to come to their capital markets department and help do uh, issuance, uh, new issuance of Swiss franc bonds for foreign issuers, like foreign banks, BMW Finance, G Capital, the World Bank, you name it. Uh, in the beginning of the 90s, it was a big trend that uh, especially American borrowers, also supranationals, came to Switzerland to borrow a lot of money from the Swiss capital markets. At that time, the bond issues were 100 million Swiss francs, 150 million Swiss francs, 50 million Swiss francs, maximum 200 million Swiss francs. Today, it's billions. Anyway, that bank collapsed, not because of us, but because of the real estate crisis. The bank was heavy on real estate and the, the valuations were wrong, historically wrong. The bank collapsed in one night completely. Credit Suisse bought the bank, amalgamated it, but we were on the streets because Credit Suisse had their own capital markets guys and they said, you won't work for us. We said, of course not. You were our enemy for three years. Why should we work for you? And then Merrill Lynch New York came with a surprise offer, they said, can you make the same boutique in Zurich, Switzerland, where you were, build up the same business doing Swiss franc bonds out of Switzerland for foreign issuers? We said, sure, we can. So we got a great budget. We flew Concord to New York. We signed the, the, the contracts. We were young. I mean, I was 24. <laughs> and uh, we built this capital markets department within a year. It was built up and running properly, and we issued 2.5 billion Swiss francs in the first year, which was fantastic. You know, the fees in Swiss franc bonds are protected. They were one and a half, two percent 2%. So you can imagine we made good money with a team of 20 people. Uh, the former president of UBS, Sergio Motti, was also one of our team members. He was doing uh, equity derivatives at the time. And... The Hungarians knocked at our door, the National Bank of Hungary at the time, and they wanted to raise money. So in 92, we issued the first uh, Swiss franc bond in uh, for the National Bank of Hungary uh, out of Switzerland. And that made me, or Merrill Lynch thought that I should be the expert for Central Europe then. So they promoted me. Uh, I was 24 to London to become a vice president at Merrill Lynch & Co. in London. And from there, I was told to cover the sovereigns, governments in Central Europe. That's the Baltics, Poland, Czech Republic, Slovakia, Slovenia, um, Croatia. I had a lot of territory to run around. And I did a lot of sovereign debt bond deals and some privatizations at Merrill Lynch when I was there. In 97, I got poached by Dresdner Bank Group through Klein Ward Benson, that was the investment banking arm, Dresdner Bank bought, a British firm, blue blood firm. I was on the board at the age of 29. And there my responsibility was Central Europe, Central Asia, Russian Federation, Middle East, and African continent with my team. So I had a lot of territory to cover, you can imagine. And over those years, I became not a banker, I became a diplomat because I was always dealing and negotiating and haggling with ministers and in some cases, heads of states, uh, also in Russia. So you can imagine I, 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 I was more involved actually in, 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 in strategic PR 
helping them to navigate through capital markets globally. Of course, we did deals. Of course, we did new issues. Um, but I had a team for that. And my job was to push them in the right direction so they can build up their name in the capital markets to increase the value, their value, to create a, a prime value. And some cases were disastrous. Some cases had no ratings. Anyway, in 2003 or four, I, I decided to resign. The industry got boring. And I joined my late father to build up our merchant bank in Malaysia. Uh, after a short year in Kazakhstan, advising the president of Kazakhstan in 2005. And then I went to, 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 to Malaysia with a stop in Vietnam for two years, uh, was the chief representative of Bombardier Aerospace. They make aircraft, commercial aircraft. Uh, that was interesting. Emerging markets, high technology. Uh, we gained some mandates. We put some planes on the, into the air or onto the ground there. Um, but then it got boring because we had stiff competition from Boeing and Airbus and we could not compete. A small Canadian firm compared to Airbus and Boeing, we had no chance. And I called it a day. And then, then I joined my father's firm to help him build it up. Uh, I was also in Singapore um, as a partner in a, in a Swiss origin uh, money management firm, in a wealth management firm where we had a partnership with Credit Suisse. We were an external tied to Credit Suisse in Singapore. And we were regulated by FINMA in Switzerland and by MAS in Singapore. We had the license from MAS. Um, did that, sold the firm in 2012, I believe, and returned to Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, full-time. And then on the 29th of, of, of July, 2013, my late father got uh, assassinated at around lunchtime in the middle of the town and uh, yeah he he died he, he was killed got killed uh, when this happened I was in Moscow I was building up the Russian business and it was a terrible well the most the blackest day of my life um, not being safe anymore in Malaysia because we felt threatened my mother and I decided to flee Malaysia, we we fled Malaysia, like in a movie. Uh, me via Dubai, via Moscow, she separately via Dubai, back to Switzerland. And since 2014, um, I'm back here in Switzerland. I, I got married finally um, to my lovely wife, who is a photographer, professional photographer. And uh, I'm in early early retirement in Switzerland. I I, I take care about two things: is peace. As an overall topic, uh, fostering peace and promoting peace, and a bit Bitcoin activist, and I still do some political strategical PR if I believe in the person who's doing the politics. So that's my short bio. I hope it wasn't too boring, and I could give a good picture where we are today or where why I arrived back to Switzerland. Right. Okay. That. There's so much there that I will come back to and ask questions around because I think it all ties in uh, with what's happening right now. Uh, do you want to bring us up to date? You've had an interesting 48 hours. <laughs> yes. Um, well, I just got a letter here from the Swiss uh, police. 
on the just before we started the interview, I went down to the post box. I got I told you I have to get the document. Well that that's it. It just arrived. And uh, I can yeah, we can show this. Um on the second of December, last Friday morning, I went to the police station, which is right here, two minutes walk, and I pressed criminal charges against today elected the president of Switzerland, Alain Berset. I have done this because, as you may heard in the media, there is a group of victims of COVID vaccine victims in Switzerland. Uh, families of died persons through vaccines and families or, or victims that have serious medical conditions through the vaccine. They're doing a class action. Well, not it's not a class action like in America. They're doing the action in parallel, each for themselves, through one law firm. Mm -hmm. And they are accusing Swiss Medic. Swiss Medic is the government office that has to approve every medication in Switzerland. So any tablet, even aspirin, whatever, has to get the stamp, the quality assurance from Swiss Medic before it's able to be sold or administered to patients in Switzerland. Okay? Mm -hmm. They're suing Swiss Medic. They're claiming that they didn't do their job, that patients or receivers of the vaccine were getting injected stuff that was not analyzed properly. Um, that was ultimately, as we know now from Pfizer, completely ineffective. The NMRA vaccine is totally ineffective regarding transmission of the disease, of the virus. Um, so I was shocked about those victims. Um, in Switzerland, we have more than 6,190 victims that are suffering so-called terminology, serious medical conditions. They're not died yet, they have not died yet, and hopefully they will not die, but their life is ruined uh, through different conditions. I don't know the exact medical conditions, but I can imagine they are not, not nice to have. Uh, it's not just a rash or, or you know, some headache. Uh, if you call it a serious medical condition, that is uh, definitely, you know, qualified as a, um, how you call this, a very bad thing. I was shocked about that. That's why I went to the police to file criminal charges. And now why? Where is the, where is the corpus delicti of President Berset? On the 27th of October 2021 on Swiss government television. President Berset was then the Minister of Home Affairs in charge of health and the Federal Office of Public Health in charge of COVID made a statement uh, promoting the COVID certificate and he said on state television 
that with this COVID certificate, you are sure not to transmit the virus to others. That was a lie, as we know, obviously. Now, why was it a lie? In this case, it was a lie because on the 3rd of August of the same year, two and a half months or almost three years before, before his director, his own health ministry director, a senior doctor, a lady, her name is Virginie Massere, made a report in the Ministry of Health, of Public Health, stating that vaccinated persons can A, contract the virus as equal, uh, easily as unvaccinated people, and that vaccinated people do not protect others in terms of transmitting the virus to others. So they had an internal paper, and she made a public statement about that in August. Despite that fact, in October, he promoted this COVID certificate, which created ultimately a two-class society in our country, right? The vaccinated and the unvaccinated. The unvaccinated were singled out. They were not allowed to do this, not allowed to go to restaurants. They had to, some of them had to stay home. So he created a two-class society which on top of all the lies is unconstitutional in Switzerland. We do not allow to have two-class society, never. Everybody is the same in front of the law, everybody. So my police report, my police report, my pressing of criminal charges against President Alain Berset um, is according to Article 312 of the Swiss Penal Code, which is abuse of office. Because he cannot say that he didn't know better. He cannot say that he forgot. He cannot say that it was a matter of language or speech. It was a blatant lie to the public, to 8 million people that they are safe if they have the COVID certificate, i.e. if they get vaccinated and have the certificate in their phone and they are good. As a consequence, people were living under false, um, false feeling of safety. I got the shots. I thought, no, I'm done, I'm good. I'm not contagious. You can shake my hands. I'm vaccinated. I got the certificate. But in reality, they were spreading it all over. So with his lie, he also subsequently, in my view, endangered other people's health. Because they thought, the minister said, this is good, it's proven. So we have to believe him, right? And then on top of all, <laughs> it has cost the taxpayer 500 million Swiss francs, just the vaccines. And on top of all, the entire exercise has created, as I said, a two-class society. Tension between people, 
arguments in families. Some people refused to get vaccinated as a principle. They were singled out. So if he would say that he was negligent or gross negligent as an excuse, gross negligence is also penal code in Switzerland with prison. He has no way out. I nailed him on, a, on one pager. Now, this is the confirmation that the that the the criminal charges are in process with the prosecution. I stated the 6th of December, and they will also give me the files uh, in due course. It's mentioned here in this letter. So as you can see, I think it's the first time in history of our country that a sitting president is uh, has uh, criminal charges filed against him from a citizen. And I didn't use a lawyer. I just went to the police station. No need for a lawyer. I'm counting on the federal prosecutor to prosecute this crime and to bring him in front of a judge to explain himself. Why did he lie? Wow. Okay. And like you said, you got news just five minutes before we hit record that he just won the election to become president. Yes. The way it works in Switzerland is every year, well, we have seven councillors. We don't have an executive president like France or America who has the absolute power to do the business, the daily business and the military. We have seven councillors and they consult each other for decisions. That's why the Swiss government sometimes in crisis is a bit slow. They have to convene. Uh, every year they rotate to be the president, which is more a decorative thing. It's like the King of England. Uh, you know, the president has not much to say in the executive order, but he represents Switzerland as a president. But still, he's the president. And they elect him, the parties elect him and choose that this guy or this woman should be president of, of the country. So a few hours ago, excuse me, I believe about two hours, three hours ago, they decided that he would be, become president. Who so decides the, the, the council themselves decide who who's rotating? Do they have their own little mini vote on who gets to you know carry the baton for the next year? Yes. Huh. Not the they would have known. They the, would parties, have... The, the parties, the parties, right. the parliament parties, they they vote who should mm -hmm. become of the seven, who should become a president. And they knew this criminal charge would have been hanging over him, surely. I filed it on Friday. I went to the press on Monday. Mm -hmm. Mainstream press did not react. I sent them the file. I sent them my phone number. Zero. Yesterday, however, one newspaper, I sent you a copy, a link. They went to print. And last night at midnight, a paper from Lausanne near Geneva went online as well. And they already changed the title. They put the uh, president on it. <laughs> um, wow. Yeah. So this is the status quo right now in Switzerland. 
And I understand now why mainstream did not react because they were afraid because they knew there's an election coming and that he might become president. And now he has. And now he has. We, we have a situation where the other six member parties have uh, just put in place a president under criminal um, investigation. Yes, in principle, that's the case. It's a, it's a, that's a scandal on its own right. Because my plan was to make the people aware that there is these criminal charges now filed. Mm -hmm. And if I would be a citizen or party member, I would think twice to to maybe pick him as a president or not. I, I cannot believe for one second they wouldn't have known this charge was hanging over his head before they went to this vote. So, Of course they knew because um, the journalist, the lady from L'Impertinent, uh, uh, from Lausanne, she to be fair to him, contacted his spokesman mm -hmm. and he refused to call her back. So she wrote that in the article, we called, we didn't get the answer. So th this gets so this strange. Is, sorry, this, this, is Switzerland, this is Switzerland in the new millennium. It's a disaster. Uh, <laughs> I, I, what is the fallout, you know, when the other six people have just bought themselves into this scandal by putting him in this seat now because it's going to be obviously proven that they would have had the knowledge that your criminal charge was hanging over his head surely that just must completely nullify him for at least this year let's get the scandal out of the way and then perhaps you come into the mix again next year what are they thinking they don't think anymore switzerland is ruled by a, a class politique, I call them, that is dangerous for democracy in this country. Mind you, my great-grand-uncle was president of this country before mm. the Second World War and up to the Second World War. His name was Rudolf Minger from my mother's side. And Rudolf Minger was in charge of the military and up to the Second World War. In fact, he negotiated sometimes with Hitler as well to make sure that there's no attack on Switzerland because it was a negotiated negotiated situation because the Nazis were all around us and our, our military then was not very strong. It's still not very strong, by the way. But anyway, mm -hmm. we were a small country, no resources. Banking was limited. Uh, so that's where we are. Okay, uh, so here, here we are, present day. I'm going to take... Uh... A wild guess, Hail Mary, and uh, wonder if the sitting president now that's just been voted in, uh, Mr. Berset or Berset, however you Berset. might pronounce Berset, does he have any ties at all to the World Economic Forum? I wonder aloud. Yes, he does. He does. No, really? Yes, he does. <laughs> Look, um, just to make a point clear about the VEF, mm. my father, late father, was a co founder of this. But I have to explain. Okay, it please do. The, it, it was in the late 70s. Mm -hmm. It was called the Davos Economic Forum. The Davos Economic Forum was yes. the original name. Okay. It was very small. There was a few heads of states, a few ministers, mainly from the Saudis, the Kuwaitis, the Bahrainis, the not even the Qataris. At that time, they were so poor. I mean, there was no oil and gas really flowing then. And uh, some Asians, the Indonesians were there, Malaysians, Singapore, that came Lee Kuan Yew. 
Uh, my father was pulling together these so-called emerging markets. Heads of states brought them. That was his responsibility, the chairman of the emerging market, emerging economies. Mm-hmm. At that time, they called them LDC, Lower Developed Countries. Okay. It's a bit derogatory, LDC, mm-hmm. so emerging sounds better. Yes. Um, so the gathering was small, 40, 50 people in a hotel, Hotel Flüela, still exists. Beginning 80s, Klaus Schwab started to go megalomaniac and had this grand plan of World Economic Forum, making more money, increasing the fees, increasing the participants, bringing more speakers. And it got into a really big bonanza. My father said, that's not the spirit that we agreed on to hold this in a closed room workshop without any attendees paying tickets or stuff like that. There was a, a real gathering of brains and heads of states. And it was not meant to have people in the auditorium paying a ticket to listen to this president or that president. So it was workshop, meeting room, lunch, uh, meetings or workshops, and then dinner. And at the bar, they had a few drinks, even the Arabs. And they became friendly and they had networking, etc. Again, 50, 60 people. Very nice format. So my father quit. He said, I'm not, I don't agree to this uh, format, World Economic Forum. And he wished him luck and focused on his bank. And, uh, you know, my father did not do this as a main job. It was pro bono on the side once a year in Davos. You know, it was... It was not a big workload for him to call a few heads of states, his clients, and they came. So that's my father's involvement with the WEF. Today, the WEF is dangerous, I believe. In my view, it's a dangerous organization. I would call it a subversive organization of democracy, civil rights. Uh, so Bursett, yes, he, he's also speaker there frequently. Uh, many of our Swiss politicians have been taken in by the way, not as employees or board members. There's no contract between, but ideology. And the ideology that the web promotes is neo-communism. I call it that. It's a mix. It's actually weird. It's a mix between fascism and neo-communism. And Klaus Schwab said it openly. The agenda is not even hidden anymore. The agenda is public knowledge. Klaus Schwab said, and you remember that, um, you will own nothing and you'll be happy. He said it was a very German accent, sounding like an old Nazi from an old German movie. But that's what he said. And it was not a joke. So the agenda 2030, the Great Reset, that's what they are promoting. And Rutke in Holland, in the Netherlands, they started confiscating farmland. Do you see any mainstream media reporting it? Nope. Zero. Um, Climate crisis, climate change, ESG, Vogue, diversity, 
all those crazy ideas are coming from the web. And I talk to scientists, many of them Germans or Swiss, and even Russians. We have no climate crisis. They are claiming that we have a climate problem. You know, the problem is, if this house is on fire, I have to quit the interview because we have a real problem. <laughs> uh, there is no climate crisis. There's plenty of oxygen. The CO2 is absolutely not a problem in our air. Of course, there are big polluters. There are big polluters in China, in America. There are um, in Russia. Yes, they are polluting. But that's a different topic. They're polluters, big polluters compared to a clean factory. Yes, they are. Or we have plastic in the ocean. That's not good. We realize that. But it's not the end of the oceans. Um, ESG is, is this whole ESG wave is destroying jobs, ultimately destroying companies. Uh, but funnier, BlackRock just last week canceled the ESG fund. Why? Because it's not it's not running. Uh, there's this other company called you know these synthetic food companies like Beyond Burger or Beyond what's it called Beyond Meat. Oh yeah, Beyond Meat. Yeah. Look at the share price gone down. Do you eat that stuff? No, I don't. I, I tried it. It's, it's even you close your eyes and you it's revolting, and you're eating. Uh, Turbo grown, turbo grown soya beans, mm -hmm. maybe with genetics modification, you don't know. And then poured with colorant and taste uh, oxidant and stuff like that to make it taste like a protein meat, but there's no protein in it. Uh, we might eat this after an atomic war if there's no other food around, maybe. But voluntarily today, why should we? But then they go on and say the cow, and excuse me, the word fart. Yep. They make a statistic about this. And these statistics cost money to argue at the web, to argue against cows. Or they say they consume too much water. You know, so these are dangerous policies mm -hmm. that are, in my view, overreaching infringing civil society, privacy of people, the free choice in a democracy of people, telling them how to live, like COVID told yep. people how to move, when not to move, with the so-called certificate. Stay home, save lives. Injecting stuff that was not proven, not tested. It's scary. And the WHO managed the whole sovereign landscape as a one agency. And what's the overlap between the WHO, the WHO, and the WEF, the WEF? In, in, they're for, together. Right, there you go. I believe they're together. And the UN is also uh, aligned with the WEF. Uh, it's about global control. And with it comes the central banks, because the fiat system collapses anyway. They have this great idea of the central bank digital currency to control the people. Mm -hmm. The money is programmable. They can program it to have a 
sell-by dates that if you don't spend the money into the economy, it will be void. Who knows? I don't know, but who knows? Uh, I'm politically too active for Switzerland. I'm not allowed to fly to New York. No, no tickets can be bought with it. What do we know? But uh, to have digital money by government issued, totally against it. Yeah, uh, totally against it. Completely, 100% against it. So let's bring it back to what, what's going on in Switzerland with um, with the case. And just so people are completely 100% sure of everything that we've been talking about, uh, what they were pushing there was the idea that um, you took the vaccine, you downloaded the QR code or the certification or the proof onto your phone via an app, which is what they were doing here in France as well. Yeah. It was called the Pass Sanitaire. Yeah. And uh, the, the the idea being you took the vaccine, you, you were incentivized to take the vaccine. Otherwise, you were not going to be allowed into the bars, the cafes, the restaurants, the cinemas, which is exactly what happened to us here in France. Yes. We were ostracized. Ostracized to class society. Yes really really badly so it was all over the news all of the time this also happened in switzerland you're saying <laughs> yeah. that is uh, a criminal act under uh, certain laws you filed the complaint oh no that is sorry that's not the criminal act that's against the constitution to create that parts a... against the constitution okay yes. the criminal act was him knowingly lying on national television because in August you had the the report from inside uh, the party saying one they do not protect you they're not 100% efficient at stopping you people are still getting the coronavirus and two they do not affect uh, transmissible um, it is still you can still you're still contagious even if you've taken let me be very precise here on the yep. wordings okay please I go again I go I go through it again because it's really easy to understand and it's good that people understand it and i just go now chronologically logic i start yes. in august on the 3rd of august um 21 okay mm -hmm. virginie massere the director of infectionology of the federal office of public health which Bursett was the boss as a minister of health, made a report, quote, COVID-19 vaccinated people can spread the coronavirus just as frequently as unvaccinated people, end of quote, full stop. Right. So that was August. Okay. It cannot get any clearer than that simple sentence. And he was her boss. Of course. Right. It was her job to make the report for the country, for the ministry and for the country. So Everybody he had the information. Knew. This was a public information. Mm -hmm. It was not secret files. Okay. In October, three months later, almost, end of October, he went on national TV, which is funded through our tax money, using prime time, prime time, as the Minister of Health, saying 
quote, with the certificate, you can show that you are not contagious. Full stop, end of quote. He did that to promote the extension of the vaccine certificate uh, policy to stop a referendum that would have voted against it in November. So three, two events, statement in, October, in August, the lie of October to make sure that the referendum against the certificate will drop, that people will continue to vote for the, and confirm the law, the COVID law in Switzerland, which is a two-class society. And so if... If he had not had come out and said that, that referendum could, I'm sure it was gathering steam. It would have all been closed down at that point. And anybody after November <laughs> 2021 that has ever taken that vaccine now, he has surely either blood on his hands or, you know, that has to, square, the, the blame is squarely on him for anybody that took further vaccinations after November 2021. And I now just wonder what were his incentives? What what was hanging over his head? Was it this promotion? No, I'm not. I'm not in his head. I don't want to be in his head because it, to me, it sounds like sorry to say, fucked up mind. Um, there is no logic to his behavior. There is morally, ethically, factually, scientifically no logic to his behavior to make that statement none whatsoever except that was the agenda to see how far can we push the people for the future to in, to implement controls over movement privacy etc etc now having read a little bit about um Monsieur Berset, before we, we started this uh, interview, I did note that there was already some kind of scandal not too long ago that he was caught up in about blackmail. Yeah. The guy was dealing with prostitutes, obviously. <laughs> obviously. Uh, the case made it obvious. And he had this love affair or call it sexual affair with a lady that blackmailed him that's illegal of course that's not nice that he got blackmailed and allegedly he has used the special forces the guys with machine guns and bulletproof vests and you know to intimidate her so that she would stop continue with her blackmail this woman now is accused of this crime and her case is processed. She has committed a crime. There's no doubt about it. But to use the special forces, taxpayers' money as a minister to handle your private sex problems, I don't know what to say. But again, he was... <laughs> Promoted to this position with everybody knowing this prior 
form and surely knowing about your criminal charge. I cannot understand, like, where is the invisible hand here that is putting these people in the positions of power? This makes no sense. Well, we continue. Um, We have Mr. Cassis, who just now, until now, has been, been the president of Switzerland. Medical doctor. He was the guy when the war broke out on the 24th of February, when Russia made started the special military operation, that's what they call it, in Ukraine. On the 24th, Switzerland made a statement that they remain neutral, as we should be. On the 28th, all of a sudden, Cassis came on TV saying, no, we are taking over the EU sanctions against Russia. And on the 28th of February, we lost our neutrality. We became an enemy of the Russian Federation. And Cassis went a step further. He took sides with Ukraine. Capital mistake. He was transmitting the notion by taking sides with Zelensky. Can you imagine? I mean, Switzerland taking sides with a warring party. Their notion was, by doing that, telling the world that Switzerland believes Ukraine will win the war against Russia. Right? Complete nonsense. Our banking industry is suffering now because the clients, the ultra-high net worth from Latin America, from Africa, from Asia, from Russia, you name it, especially from Russia, they're saying Switzerland is not reliable anymore, not safe. So they go to Singapore. Singapore is doing a better job. They're also not neutral, but they don't take sides. Singapore Prime Minister has not been seen flying to Kiev to, to hug Zelensky. You can do that, but then you have to hug Putin in Moscow. Then you, you know, you, you visit both sides. Fine. So Singapore is doing a better job, I have to admit. <clears throat> they have a huge boom now of new money coming from this country. None of it makes sense. You know, we have a neutrality since 1815. Paris Accords. Confirmed in the same year through the Vienna Congress. And we lost the neutrality on the 24th of February 2022. Within a few months, we became a warring party, supporting a warring state. We stopped short of sending weapons, stopped stopped short. But that's a disaster for our democracy because this decision has not been put in front of the people. And I'm part of a group of people. We have started the referendum, the initiative for the referendum in this country on the 8th of November of this year. We launched a neutrality initiative. So now we're collecting 100,000 signatures in Switzerland nationwide to qualify for a referendum to be held as soon as possible where people have to vote. Do we want neutrality? Yes or no? And our neutrality text is modified. It is very precise. It says we will have a permanent armed neutrality 
cannot be changed. And we do not issue sanctions to third against third parties involved in war. But we follow the sanction policy if there is one issued by the UN. Yes. And we don't join any military alliance unless we are attacked. This is the new text of Article 54A. And now we have to go and collect signatures. So, so we have to do, can I imagine, we have to do an initiative to, to correct the already existing constitution. So Cassis, to go back to him, he violated the principles of our existing constitution. That's where we are. So you have Berset on the COVID line, on the certificate line, with the all the consequences and the costs related to it and the dead people and injured people. You have a two-class society and damaged youth. Two years, they're, they're cuckoo because they couldn't go out, mingle with their friends, and, you know. Yeah, students, psychological they go, damage. They're, yeah. in, they're in gaga. Uh, the psychiatric wards are full of depressed youth right now. Up to here. That's where we are. And we have a, a minister of defense. She wants to align us with NATO. You know, again, as you can see, the government, since a few years, is going the wrong way in this country, pushing us towards the Euro, uh, the EU. Mm -hmm. We voted against the, the European Union. And if the rule is in the Constitution, once you vote something, it's voted. That's it. We said no to the EU. But our government now wants to push us more and more into the EU. It's a damaging process. And we have to get our country back in line. And that's why I made the criminal complaint at the police station, because I cannot tolerate, under no circumstances, to have a minister or not, or government employee or not. I cannot tolerate somebody speaking out lies like this, and especially not having responsibility over 8 million people. I, I can, as a citizen, I will not tolerate that. And I use the democratic process and justice to fight this injustice. That's all so, I can do. So what happens now? You've made the criminal complaint. Who follows that up? Who then, did somebody arrests him or they pull him in no. for investigation? How, how no, does it work? The, no, the arrest would only happen if there's a, uh, I call it, danger of flight. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I, I don't think that the, the new, I don't think that the newly elected president of Switzerland because of this will run to Argentina. No. But he will get notified by the prosecution that there is a criminal complaint. Yes. Okay. And uh, they will have to question him. Yes. The... But before that, yeah, he will then say, "I'm immune," which is true. He has got immunity, right? Because he's just become president, or no? Because... As a minister, you are immune. Okay. But okay. In the criminal case, Parliament has to vote to lift immunity to enable prosecution to question. So prosecution can only happen if the parliament vote to lift his immunity 
for the investigation to begin. Yes. When do you expect well, to hear on that news? No, it, it is in. It is running. It is not stopped. It is running. That's the investigation the is running, right? Yeah, okay. Yes, of course. Yes. But part of the process will be the lifting of immunity. And I, all I'm saying publicly here even, anybody in parliament who votes against lifting the immunity of Perset, in my view, is accomplice of crime. Very clear. When do you expect that vote to happen? I don't know. Um, let's first get it to the media because only two newspapers have been printing, one in the French part and one in uh, in the Swiss German part here, prominent paper, which I sent you the copies, links. Mainstream is blocking. I spoke to Swiss television this morning. I sent them an email, no reaction. So I'm hoping that the news comes from outside. The profit often comes from outside, mm -hmm. i.e. you, to instigate that the foreign press takes it up because it's true. It's not a joke. Imagine the truth being spoken for once. Yeah, my, my worry is that they're going to do everything that they can to bury the, the mainstream media to make sure this all just gets... Uh, the, the usual way, I guess, they, they try and deal with this is time. Just try and sweep it under the rug as long as possible, and then the people easily forget because there's always another catastrophe just waiting 24 hours later for the people to get worried about. They can try that, but I will not give up. I have a very good moral support as a citizen. Um, behind me is a federal judge sitting one mm -hmm. who told me what you're doing is fantastic you have my moral support your complaint is legally correct don't give up i will not give up you see when swiss air happens our national airline collapsed i organized a restructuring deal with merrill lynch london as a private person no commissions asked pro bono we were able to raise, we would have been able to raise $12 billion to restructure Swiss Air and keep it flying. We gave the proposal to then government, incompetent government, and UBS mani manipulated the government not to accept and to destroy Swiss Air so they could buy it cheap. Long story short. After that, I got so upset, I, I made a movie out of it. And it's one of the best Swiss movies telling the truth. We had 60,000 secret documents to make the script, not to be shut down by lawyers. Uh, so the movie Grounding is the truth about the reasons why Swiss Air collapsed. And it's pure manipulation by two banks, one other airline, another airline, and the incompetence of the Swiss government at the time. So... Um, I have to say, I'm not important, but if somebody screws me, I get really angry. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I don't I don't accept lies or a no, which is not justified. And what's very interesting, something you said uh, before, um, which I, I think is worth driving home this point, that you took the, the vaccine yourself. It's not like you are 
you know, on this kind of moral cause, oh. ethical. It, it... Hey, I had to get it to travel with my mother when she was inviting us for a cruise. She's 80. We said that's her last wish. Okay, we get boosted, we get injected, we do this for travel. We believed, Per said, we believe right. that this thing works. Mm -hmm. But on the ship, by the way, what happened, everybody was vaccinated, everybody was tested. 150 passengers crossing the Atlantic after 10 days in the middle of the Atlantic or six days in the middle of the Atlantic, 10 cases of COVID <clears throat> on the ship, then 15 cases I, after being isolated, 15. Then the captain had to decide for the safety of the vessel to return because if the engineers drop ill, and they, they didn't drop ill, they had just had a cough and a little... Most countries treat COVID today like a flu. That's it. So we had to return. The vaccination, of course, didn't work. We so, but we are in, my my wife, my mother, and I we are, we are injected. We are vaccinated, and I'm worried because I read about people who drop dead. All of a sudden, we have those six thousand six hundred or six thousand one hundred ninety victims with severe medical conditions in Switzerland. I don't want to be one of those, but I'm scared. I don't know. It could happen. Maybe my doctor tells me, uh, God forbid, in two months you have this condition or that condition. I already suffer uh, a severe illness that I cannot cure. It's not mortal, but it's very bad for my lifestyle. And uh, I have no intention to have something as a consequence of those stupid injections. But I touch wood so far, I'm fine. There's no side effects. Well, the last question I want to ask you about, um, and obviously it's very personal. Sure. Your your father uh, yeah. was assassinated. Yeah. Uh, under um, very strange circumstances, and I don't think that's ever been actually cleared up in in the court of law. You can talk about that if you're if you're happy to. Yeah. Sure. Um, are you currently fearing for your own safety as well? I don't fear anymore. When it happened, I was in Moscow. I felt a bit, I felt fear. We didn't know, was it a global gang? We didn't know why. We had no clue. It was not a robbery. A robbery is easy to explain. It was an execution. And I didn't know as the only child and the vice chairman of the company and the vice CEO, deputy CEO, if I'm next or my mother's next. So security was put up in Moscow. My security advisors in Moscow forbid me to take a plane to go to Malaysia. They said, you're not going back until we know what's happening. The Malaysian police did not investigate properly. It was a mess. Um, I've decided to make a movie out of this story and I have given instructions uh, to a team led by an Australian screenwriter. She's writing the screenplay as we speak. And uh, the best, biggest filmmaker of Switzerland, Michel Steiner, is a co-producer and my buddy as well. And I have two other co-producers in the team, Swiss co-producers. And we're going to talk to the banks. Because 1MDB, the scandal was, the bank founded by my father, Ambank, 
was one of the banks laundering one MDB, the Malaysian state funds money for the Prime Minister Najib, the then Prime Minister Najib. My father had no proof, but he had suspicion that billions are being laundered by this uh, Malaysian government fund through international banks for the benefit of the Prime Minister and his family. And I started investigating in 2015 with the help of Claire Rucastle Brown. She's the sister-in-law of Gordon Brown, the former Prime Minister of England or Britain. And she's one of the best investigative journalists I ever met in my life. Totally integral, of course. Very smart and fearless. And she uncovered the scandal, really. She brought it to the media. So guess what we're doing with the script? We are writing the script now, the treatment paper, we call it, 50, 40 pages. And with that, we will go to the banks that were involved, like Goldman Sachs, Credit Suisse, Falcon Bank, and many others, Kutz. And we say, hey, this is the FINMA or MAS report about your breaches of this and that in that case. Here is the script. We would like to raise some money for the screenplay. <laughs> Do you want your name on screen? Because it will look good after all what happened. And those who don't want, we go to the clean banks and say, hey, you were not involved. You might well have your name on the screen as a clean bank supporting this movie, showing the world what money laundering looks like. I mean, the Wolf of Wall Street was financed entirely through 1MDB money. Scorsese and DiCaprio had to give back their salaries and bonuses to the US Department of Justice. And it's ironic, The Wolf of Wall Street is a decadent, it's a good movie, mm -hmm. but it's decadent. Mm -hmm. I mean, you and I have been in investment banking. Yeah. We parted, yes, but not like not like that. But still, it's a fun movie to watch in a way. It has cost about a hundred million to produce, and it brought in four hundred million dollars. All that has been confiscated because it was financed through illegal funds. So why my father got murdered, executed, assassinated, we don't know. I had police protection here. We still have to some degree. Uh, that doesn't mean that we have people now in front of this door. It's no fun. But uh, I'm making this movie and the movie will reveal voyeuristically parts of it as a docudrama. And, and what about what about um, your your involvement now with uh, bringing this criminal complaint uh, to a guy that is now the president who has prior um, has proven to have used force against uh, a previous person that was putting pressure on him? Uh, look, this woman blackmailed him. Mm -hmm. That's slightly different. I'm not blackmailing him. And I'm talking openly about the criminal case to the media and to you. Uh, no, he, he's not that bad. I mean, of course what he did is bad, mm -hmm. bad character. I think he learned from it. He will not do it again. 
that's another abuse of power, by the way, abusing special forces to intimidate a, a hooker. <laughs> Unheard of. <laughs> if you are a man, you face her in a coffee shop and say, listen, please stop blackmailing me and what do you want? He gave her $100,000. I, I wonder where is the cash coming from? But that's his his problem to explain. I don't know, maybe he makes a lot of money in the private industry. I have no clue. So if we play this out forward now, the criminal charges come, the immunity is lifted, he is investigated and removed as president. Again, to recap and to round it up, the criminal charges complaint is in process. I got... Before this interview, a letter from the state prosecution of yesterday. And according to the so-called um, prosecution, criminal prosecution procedure, Article 102, this is now in process. And I will get um, documents about the case as soon as possible. It's from the uh, Swiss police that confirm that this case has been given to the state prosecution office public prosecutor and from there it goes to the federal prosecutor and they will have to decide what to do and if everything goes to plan as you hope and uh, he is found guilty uh, in the eyes of law of lying to yeah. um, to the people what I, mean, I guess, what's your best case scenario? What What do you want well, to happen? Well, I have to add something for this interview. It's very important for me morally. Mm -hmm. All what I have said and saying about President Berset is on the presumption of innocence. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, I, for I forgot to tell you this at the beginning, but it's part of this interview. All what I'm saying, accusing him, alleging him to have done this is on the presumption of innocence because mm -hmm. the case now is pending and running right so in the best case he gets a serious prison sentence to think about what he has done the worst case is that they the parliament refuses to lift the immunity at which point as the word immunity suggests he is vaccinated uh, and immune that then begs the question, how far can this country go in democracy if such a blatant lie that is proven so simply, by the way, it's not like some research by some doctor has to make evidence to build a case. This is very clear. Now, not, you say, why do you come with this idea? Why didn't anybody else? The reason is people are not, not stupid, but they, the people don't think anymore. I was shocked a few days. I told you why. When I read this report on my desk, I had the filing for the criminal charges of those victims. I went to my head and said, I cannot imagine what these people are going through now. I can't. And especially not those who lost their loved ones through this. I can't. State-sponsored murder. Through, and then I said, who lied when? I made some research for the whole day. 
I found this sentence on public TV, national TV, and I, I, I looked further back and I saw her, his director, Virginie Masseret, said this. But I said, hang on, she said this and he said this. But he's the authority to push through this. Therefore, the causa is linked. That's the case. And that's the criminal charge, abuse of office. Or and or and on top gross negligence, hmm. which is also a crime in this country. <clears throat> so if if it all gets proven out and he's removed, where do you see what are your hopes for Switzerland in the next two to five years? Because clearly, like you've been explaining, you know, politics not just in that country, politics all over Europe is in a very, very strange place. What what, yes. what do you see happening over the next five years? What do you... If I have a crystal ball, uh, <laughs> I'm drinking this very healthy drink. <laughs> <laughs> if I would have a crystal ball, I would tell you. From my experience, we're going away... Well, ideally, we go back to decentralization. We go back from the EU back to... It's the wrong word, but nationalization. It's, again, the wrong word, the wrong connotation. Mm. I don't mean nationalism. I mean that every country has its borders, its mm -hmm. currency, its culture. Its, its sovereignty. Country. Yeah, sovereignty, thank you. And has wonderful bilateral, trilateral agreements to work together, voluntarily, without a central government telling each country what to do with the tax money, etc. And this case that I'm running now, criminal charge against Berset, will help the Swiss economy, uh, democracy, and society as a lesson for other federal councillors that you are accountable, especially if you steal, if you lie, if you use office, you are accountable it's Why? rotten all the way to the top and if you look at the european central bank where christine lagarde is the uh, you know the sitting chairwoman she was found guilty in the court of law for embezzlement while she was in her role at the imf i mean like how do you go from being found guilty not serving any jail time not paying any fines to then getting the seat at the european central bank you're asking me what's happening in germany for instance what, what is happening in germany they're destroying Germany, the the ruling coalition right now as we speak. Mm -hmm. That they are destroying the country. There you go. They're destroying Germany voluntarily. Uh, and this arguably goes all the way back to the, the mid nineties for the, the push to go to the single currency the euro, which obviously came in in financial markets around 97, 98 and widely adopted across, you know, actually got in people's pockets late 90s, early 2000s. Because at that point, if you remember very well, I remember uh, dollar mark was the most widely traded currency pair by a country mile in the financial now, markets. When did you enter Forex? What, what time was it? 95. 95. Onto the dollar mark spot desk. But in London, when you start Forex 95, yeah, before that, high school, uh, uh yeah, I just finished my uh, A level 
Um, okay, my yeah. my my mentor when I was a young banker in '89 was he might recall the name the Bundesbank president Karl Otto Pöhl. He was okay. the Konrad Adenauer in terms of importance of the German Bundesbank. Mm -hmm. Back then in the '80s we had the dollar, the Deutschmark, and the yen. Mm -hmm. That's it. And the Swiss franc as a Mickey Mouse stable currency. That was it, right? So the Bundesbank president, as you can imagine, was very important. He was a brilliant man. Brilliant man. He was my mentor. And we went skiing together in Switzerland with 17 or 15 bodyguards because it was the time after Alfred Herrhausen, the chairman of Deutsche Bank, got assassinated in, near Frankfurt with a car bomb. So we had very much, we had high level of security. And when the wall came down in autumn of 89, Kohl made a political decision. Ostmark, Eastmark and Deutschmark one to one. And Pearl, as Bundesbank president by the, and Germany has no constitution, by the way, you know that. They have a Grundgesetz, they have a basics called base law. But by this base law, even the Bundesbank, the central bank, is completely independent from the government. Should be. Kohl overruled him. Pearl wanted at least 1 to 15 or 1 to 20. Because the Ostmark was worth absolutely, it was chunk. No, but Cole, to make it politically more viable for him and to be celebrated, made one to one. They loved him, these Germans, they loved the guy. They had their rotten currency, which wouldn't buy even a car. And they could spend it on cars, electronics. Where did the money go? It went to VCRs, television, handicams. There was a mobile phone, but well, there was these big phones mm -hmm. uh, and and maybe a car. The money just went poof, gone. And on the slope, we were in, in St. Moritz, Switzerland. After this decision, he said in all earnest on the on ski lift together next to each other going up. He said, find me a cave on a glacier here where I can drop in and die. <laughs> I don't want to go back to Frankfurt anymore, to the Bundesbank. I had enough. I hate those meetings. I've been overruled by coal. I don't accept that. It's a walking over my face, my authority, my intellect. He meant it. He was depressed, frustrated. And I told him on the ski lift, you know what, Carlotto? I, I was naive. I said, as a friend, I said, why don't you resign? Well, a year later, he resigned. He dropped the ball because he realized the Bundesbank had no more say on the Deutschmark. And the rest, you know, the euro came and all the bullshit mm -hmm. with it. And looking at the new trend of Germany now, it's being destroyed. The Ukraine war is an American instigation, NATO instigation, and 
a purpose to create war, to try to break Russia. It didn't work, as we know. Russia will not go further west. They had enough. They will stay where they are. They have a new border now. Um, I think peace negotiations and stopping the war is the only goal now. Always been no war. And that's the next step. When the peace will happen, I don't know, but soon. Russians have no ambitions to go west. Zero. Absolutely zero. Um, Ukraine army is depleted despite the $100 billion of cash and most modern weapons. Losing the war. That's the truth. Uh, so that they blew up Nord Stream 1 and 2, or have to be precise, they blew up Nord Stream 1 pipes, these are two pipes, and Nord Stream 2A. 2B survived. I don't know if you know that. No. Yeah, see, not many people know. Mm-hmm. The mainstream media said everything's blown up. The funny thing is, the sabotage was carried out by a third country. The Russians believe that it was the Brits on behalf of America. What did it do? It cut off the economic retreat of Germany, i.e. it cut off the idea that Germany could walk out of the sanctions for Ukraine against Russia and say, hey, we want energy now. Come on, let's stop this nonsense. We have an an economy to feed with energy. 50% of German homes are heated or run by Russian gas. 50%. Germans' requirements for one year is 90 billion cubic meters of gas, Russian gas. Now there is zero. And 2B, 2 Bravo, the line, is still functional. If Scholz wanted to have 30, at least 30 billion a year cubic meters, he could have it. One pipe delivers max power, 30 billion cubic meters of natural gas. So 2B at least could serve one third of the annual demand to alleviate the chapter 11 situation that's happening now. I'll give you some statistics. The last three months, the increase in the last three months of chapter 11 of SMEs in Germany has jumped 74%. (laughs) The statistics don't work anymore. I mean, the models don't work anymore. 74% increase, 33 big conglomerates went bust the last three months in Germany because of lack of energy. Aluminium smelters, mm-hmm. glass smelters, beer breweries, retail, transport, you name it, logistics. So we're seeing Schultz and his crew are they're smashing the car into a wall, not in slow motion even, in fast motion. In 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 uh, ten months now, the German government has managed to destroy seventy years of hard work, and the crisis has just started. Now the German government says to the people, 
the gas storage is full. It's true. The gas storage is full. But the gas storage was meant for emergency only to last three weeks. That's number one. Number two, only 15% belongs to the German government. The rest is multinationals who have sold the gas rate at high prices to other, other consumers. That's the reality. So Nord Stream 2 being blown up. 2B is functional. Scholz doesn't want to accept the gas because he wants to be seen as an angel towards Ukraine or is under pressure from the states not to accept because Russia wants to deliver gas. I have proof of that. Gazprom would deliver it tomorrow at, at low prices. Scandal, I tell you, big scandal. So BASF, one of the largest chemical companies in the world, is moving out of Germany. They have to. They can't survive without gas. Cannot. Siemens is moving to China and India and America. Habeck, the vice chancellor, went to Qatar a few weeks ago to beg for gas. He came home and said, I got a great gas agreement. I'm, I'm a hero. You know with what he came back? Contract? Three billion cubic meters. Delivery 26. <laughs> <laughs> By ship. Right. And now they think of shuttling it from Houston with ships at the cost of five times of gas prices. Five times. And as you know, you know those ships, they're not, they're big in the port. They're very big. Mm -hmm. But if you look at the scheme of things, they can never replace a volume of 90 billion cubic meters flow a no. year. You just can't. And if we're worried about cow farts, can we worry a little bit about like the CO2? <laughs> right. So 2B, that pipe is flowing into where? Like who is buying that gas at the moment? No, it's it's flowing. The, the, the pipe is coming out in Lubmin, which is in eastern Germany. Hmm. And it belongs to Gazprom. The, two, mm -hmm. the project number two, Nord Stream 2, is 100% owned by the Russian Federation through Gazprom. One is, number one, is owned majority Gazprom, minority German government. So 2B is functional, but it's not certified on purpose. The gas could, it's in there. Mm -hmm. You can open it and the gas comes out, but the Germans don't want it. <laughs> it's solidarity oh, with Ukraine and people go broke there is jobless rates are increasing yeah. now. it's getting cold uh, of course uh, and people are going so, to to make things worse they shut down the oil pipeline Drushba which comes out in Wittenberg in Brandenburg East Germany they cut down, they shut down the yell pipeline on Monday morning, Monday afternoon. Again, for solidarity with Ukraine. What's now, the, the, gas, the, gas, like... the gas price for cars will jump now. The next four, five, six weeks in Germany will go up. Mm -hmm. And not going to affect throughout the rest of Europe, obviously. But like, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what's the end game? Why or who? Who? Who wants to destroy Germany and why? The Atlantists want to curtail Germany. 
They like to have a weak Germany, weak European Union. The Atlantis, I mean the Americans. Okay. And the other part is the Greens and the Socialists. They voluntarily destroy the economy because they want to destroy the middle class. Right. That's the West principle. Mm -hmm. You destroy the middle class, you eliminate the class politic mm -hmm. because those guys who think and vote and do something are people like you and me who have the luxury to think. If you and me are on trading floor for 10 hours doing, I don't know what we have to do, you come home, you know what, you go to the, the pub first, you have a drink, you know how it is, the lifestyle. Yeah. And you just crash, you're tired. And then the next morning, get up at 5, 5.30 again, you go to the bank or you go, you know, you know onto a business trip. You just, you just trust others to vote for you mm -hmm. or think because your head is full of problems. So that's the thing. You, you, you thinning out the middle class, you make the middle class weak because the middle class carries 60%, 70% of an economy. Then you have workers, which can be fired on Monday morning if they stick out their neck too far about any topic. And you have the elite and they gather in doubles. That's the new world order. That's what they want to create. You have Mrs. Baerbock, the foreign minister of Germany. This woman has never worked in a job before. Hmm. She's 41. She told on public TV, she said, I don't care what the German voters think. I'm standing with Ukraine. Can you believe it? A sitting elected minister. of this country. So what do you see going on in surrounding countries? France? No, we go to Germany first because we have yeah. a new okay. trend. Okay. We have a new trend in politics. We have AFD, Alternative for Germany. Mm -hmm. It's a young party, a bit more than 10 years old, has about 15% at the moment, is in the Bundestag, obviously fastest growing party in Germany right now. The more crisis we have, the faster they grow. They're conservative liberal. The opposition says that they're right extremists, they're not. Of course. <laughs> they have a few, they have to be honest, they have a few elements had which were saying abhorrent, ridiculous stuff which doesn't belong into our society anymore. But the party has a new leader, Alice Weidel, former banker, young, 43, a doctor in philosophy, PhD, worked for Goldman Sachs, worked for Bank of China, worked in China for six years, speaks Mandarin. <laughs> I've never met or seen a smarter woman than this one, I'm 55. I've seen many in government or not, or business and banking. Why? She has a rare positive syndrome. <laughs> she has the mix between emotional intelligence and academic intelligence in one. That's extremely rare. Extremely rare. And she can talk. 
I've sent you a speech. If you don't understand German, look at the rhetoric. She completely cleans them up. There, I always say there's not, it's impossible to try to debunk her factual arguments in Parliament. It's impossible. Why? Because she tells the truth. Like no. what I told you about the minister. Yeah. I told you in August this statement was made. In October, he made this statement. You cannot debunk it. The only reason what you can ask is why did he say it? That's the judge to to ask, not me. Um, Alice Weidel, follow her, Dr. Mm -hmm. Weidel. She's the new, I call a North Star on the horizon. And the new leadership of the party, by the way. And she's restructuring it like a conglomerate, as we speak, without McKinsey. <laughs> Yeah. She's doing it herself with clear internal guidelines. If somebody steps out of them, ideology or makes hate speech, out. Very simple. No uh, WEF affiliation? No WEF. Whoa. Who would have imagined a, a young, look, not part of the Young at, Global Leader program? What, you go to the online version of the AFD website, the party principles. First point, democracy according to the Swiss model, direct democracy for Germany. First point. Second point, referendum on the euro. Bring the Deutschmark back. Very clever. Third, fourth, I, I can't tell you the order now, but one of them is judges and prosecution elected through the people, not the party. Lower taxes, increase the value of the family in society, financially support families that have kids for better education, increase education budget. Then she says, kick out NATO and US troops and US nukes. We don't need that. We need a strong German army, yes, but not foreign armies on our soil. No need. Why? We don't need it. I mean, they don't need it. Bring back the pride to Germany. Don't be afraid to fly the flag. You're not a Nazi if you look at me. I have the Swiss flag here. Am I a nationalist? No, I'm proud of it. So she's a clear thinker, has no fear. She has heart and mind. Is a mother of two sons. Mm -hmm. Lives in a partnership with a filmmaker. And her partner is a filmmaker from originally Sri Lanka. She's Swiss. So she's in a registered partnership with her partner, raising two sons. I mean, what, what better modern model do you have? She's against the gendering stuff. She's against wokeism, against ESG, against the climate, climate lies, against alternative energy to be dominant over nuclear I haven't met anybody she is the she's the corner of the other hour in female form and younger dare I take this opportunity to yeah. ask you to squeeze in uh, uh another point on the uh the agenda there that homeschooling in Germany be made legal again since it was made illegal in 1938 by Hitler and Goebbels I I'm not proficient to answer the question. 
No, I, that's my request. I, ah, I, I should ask yeah, her. My request, my request is to can Dr. You? Weidel, please can you make homeschooling legal in Germany again because it was made illegal in 1938 by Hitler I can, and Goebbels. I can ask her, why not? Because that has never been repealed and I know there are hundreds of thousands of German people who yeah. leave Germany because, simply because, they want to take more control and self-sovereignty over their children's education. They are unable to. And there are other countries where it's illegal, Sweden and Holland. But if you can float that idea, uh, that that could be another way to win some votes. You would win a lot of votes just by Good just point. by talking about that. Good point. Look, don't forget, one of her plans is the party, the party's plan is to substantially improve education in Germany. Right. The schools are rotten in Germany right now. So they, are, to, to they not are have the choice. In terms of quality mm -hmm. and capacity and academically rotten. She yep. wants to abolish the Bologna system for Germans. The Germans go back to the German diploma for German employment first on German standards. So homeschooling, why not? But I have to talk about it. Yeah, exactly. If the if it's rotten to the core and people don't have a choice because the, the social services take your children away if you do not send them to school. But if you as I a know. family, as a parent, don't have a choice, this is, you know, this comes back to freedom again, freedom of choice. And you know, uh, family unity, family ties. If your children are depressed at school all day long, that is a drain on the family. This is what breaks up societies. This is like generations deep problems uh, that um, you know have come from from this one rule alone. It, it's truly, it's truly shocking. So, See, I, if, I, if kids are depressed in schools, what do you have with the youth? They go right. into alcohol. Mm -hmm. They go onto the streets and drugs mm -hmm. and gangs and. You lose an entire generation. That's her program is different. Again, increase budget massively for top schools on all levels, kindergarten, primary school, high school, university. That is top priority of AFD, by the way. Because the kids are the future. If, if, if we don't have the children growing as best as they can, then we are lost. We're finished. We're growing vegetables that don't think anymore. They just the whole day on the bloody thing and they go, you know. Yeah. Where you go, does you go to the Louvre in Paris? You see children, schools yes. doing they're all there. Yep. They're standing. Like, yeah, they're standing in the most beautiful place. Mona Lisa smiles at them and they look at the you know, Pokemon. I don't know what they're playing. <laughs> Uh, Pascal, where, where does uh, Bitcoin fit into all of this for you? Bitcoin, I sold everything in 2016. Everything. And 100% uh, into Bitcoin since then. Wow. <laughs> That's quite the move. I have the luxury of uh, my pension from my banking years that we have fiat income. And my wife is a photographer. We don't drive Ferraris or have yachts. No need for that. We live well. We're happy. Um, Bitcoin is the 
most beautiful technology ever invented, I think. Why? Because it's mathematically perfect. And what is mathematic science? Do you know the answer? I don't know. No, go ahead. Mathematic science is the science of absolute truth. Mm -hmm. One plus one is two. If the result is not true, then something is wrong with the formula. So that's where Bitcoin comes in. And I'm very happy, technically speaking, that FTX collapsed, that Terra Luna collapsed, that Shibu Inu collapsed, that Dogecoin collapsed. I'm very unhappy for the poor people who lost the money, but they were driven by their own greed. They learned the lessons. Some of them don't recover because they put everything in there. They were hoping to become millionaires overnight. Wrong. Bitcoin is not there to make you rich overnight. It won't. But Bitcoin is there in 10 years when fiat is nowhere. And it will take time. It will go all over the place. Right now, we are depressed because interest rates, as you know, from currencies, dollars increasing, the Fed is increasing rates like crazy. But wait for the Fed to start lowering rates again. Then we have the bonanza of the stock exchange and, the, and we have, a, I would say, pretty good uptrend on Bitcoin. And you know what? Bitcoin goes back to 40, 50. People will queue again in front of it. Now, there's nobody queuing, right? Yes, exactly. But if there's the 50,000 tag on the door down there, you see the queue from here all the way to the train station. Mm -hmm. What made you look at it? I, I made a simple calculation in my head. 21 million pieces of something that you cannot fake and 7 or 8 billion people. Sorry, that was my calculation. That's it. Of no. course, I went to the rabbit hole. I read this yeah. book, The Bitcoin Standard by Saifuddin. Yeah. I, did, I, I pulled in 10,000 hours of YouTube videos and stuff. Got gray hair from it. <laughs> because some of the lectures I don't understand, I'll be honest with you. They're too complicated. And I make one principle in Bitcoin. I don't trade it. I don't. Mm -hmm. I just accumulate it. $500, $100 or more. That's enough. So that's the explanation. Uh, there's nothing better in money terms. The only problem I have with this one. A Bitcoin transaction cannot be reversed. So as a payment system, it's great still. I can send a billion dollars from this desk to your desk. Same second. The cost is 60 cents. On your mobile phone, if you want a billion, we can do it. But the transaction is not reversible. Mm -hmm. That's the only flaw I have in the in the Bitcoin technology or any technology from that point of view in crypto. But you see, that's that's the whole point. Crypto is junk. Yes. These 19,999 yes. projects, also simple thinking. I don't have to analyze the white papers. Who is behind them? What is behind them? People. 
Mm-hmm. Who are those people? They're greedy people. They want your greedy cash from your pocket to put into their pocket. That's their mission. Nothing else. Bitcoin is nobody. It's a thing. If you go gendering now, <laughs> it's a thing. It exists in the internet. Well, the uh, I guess the the irreversible <laughs> transaction would be termed in Bitcoin speak as a feature rather than a bug of uh, yeah, of the fine. technology. And there's ways around it. Fine. I just say if I have one little point, and it's not a big drama, but it exists, has its own life, and it's growing every day, sometimes more, sometimes less. And it's like water. It goes where it can mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. All the time. And are you constantly having conversations about uh, Bitcoin like the rest of us crazies that, it, you know, it's like the mind virus. And when you're, you know, speaking with such people in, in uh, such as Dr. Vidal, for example, um, in, you know, political positions, are they showing interest? She's a or... Bitcoiner. Huh? She's a Bitcoiner. Oh, well, even better. How about your old banking buddies? Or are they still getting, you know, blinded by the uh the shiny fiat things i i quit the society of banking bodies i'm not in touch with that industry anymore completely now wow uh, i take care really of other issues like well now it's a criminal charge then my movie mm-hmm. um my wife and family and very few good friends that we appreciate and have and then we do the greater good for the greater good we try mm-hmm. we have no children so we are very good with as god children and we take care of other people's kids try to i had a discussion with one of my god children she's uh, 11 mm-hmm. smart girl uh she asked what is bitcoin she said why is your hat always is b i said it's bitcoin he said yeah i heard about that in school i said yeah yeah so can you explain it to me? I said, yes, I do. It's. I asked her, I took a, a 10 franc note. Said, what is this? She said, money. I said, yeah. Do you think they produce more of it every day or not? She said, yes, I heard that they produce it every day. So I say they produce more of it, right? Yes. And I said, Bitcoin is only 21 million. Never coin more, never ever. After 50 minutes, she said, Mom, we have to get that shit and get as much as you can. <laughs> she got it. Orange pilling one person at a time, uh, which actually brings me to the final question. Um, if you had one orange pill uh, left to give to somebody, and in that orange pill, you know, you, you could distill down the knowledge of Bitcoin and that person takes it and they understand Bitcoin immediately. Who would you give that to and why? Wow. That is a very controversial answer and the people will hate me for it. But in terms of energy power and converting energy into Bitcoin, I'd give it to Putin. Mm-hmm. 
he will convert, forget the war, let's say it's peace. Mm -hmm. Russian Federation, the next 300 years, will convert all their energy, their largest resource in the world of anything, plutonium, gold, diamonds, you name it. They do it on Bitcoin standard. The whole world will follow. Mm -hmm. And once the Russians do something, they stick with it. That's why we pick a Russian leader. Perfect answer. And they can be no wrong answers. That's the that's the beauty of that question. <laughs> yeah. I told you I became a diplomat over the years. You did. You said your dad wanted you to be a banker and you wanted to work in public relations. It seems to me as though you've mixed them both perfectly well and lived a, a very interesting, varied intellectually stimulating life and you you know along may it continue because what you're doing by bringing these criminal charges to bear on president Burset, i think is very brave thank you on behalf of anybody that ever listens to this uh, i think it, you might be the first to kickstart other people in other countries to to watch what you're doing and to hopefully pick up you know your your uh, what's the word i'm looking for example yeah. of bringing those that have possibly been lying to justice yeah or at least exposing them and if they are not brought to justice you will expose the justice system for what it is Correct. And I thank you for your kind words. If I have one demand or request for the audience and you, if you can help me, is I need your help, your moral support. But more importantly, my country, Switzerland, needs your support. Our democracy needs your support right now. If you listen to this podcast, it's very important. Please spread this message as far and wide you can. So that the mainstream media picks up the fact that I am suing, not suing, that the, I press criminal charges against the sitting president of Switzerland for allegedly lying to the public on the 27th of October 21 about COVID vaccine and COVID passports. Please, please help to spread this message. Thank you. Thank you so much, Pascal. All the best of luck. And I look forward to uh, chatting again soon. Anytime. Thank you very much. Well, there you go, guys. I don't know how you all feel about that one. For me, obviously, a little bit out of left field that this interview came just completely out of the blue, but one I thoroughly enjoyed listening to Pascal. First of all, his life, his stories, his experiences, but what he's going through at the moment and the, the bravery to step up in the face of huge public opinion to go into battle and to fight for the truth that's all he's doing all he's doing is exposing the truth which is fully out there for anybody to see there was a public address saying one thing completely counter narrative to a report that had been handed to him clearly by somebody that worked for him who was their job to do that research and have that report ready Three months earlier so ask yourself why why the lie where's the incentive 
We lived through two years of complete and utter freaking nonsense. Nobody, none of us could figure out what was going on. Now these lies are slowly coming to the top. As the old saying goes, there are three things in the in life that you cannot hide. The sun, the moon, and the truth. The truth is coming out. If there's anybody around the world that can help Pascal in any way, please reach out to him or reach out to me. You'll be able to get in touch with him. If you've been inspired, if you've seen something yourself and you want to go and uh, pursue uh, kind of legal action against those in positions of power that were abusing those positions of power, whether that is in your local town or in your city, country, whatever it is, I hope Pascal's actions are going to give people the confidence to go for this now. And he's a Bitcoiner. Who would have thought it? Who would have thought a guy down a Bitcoin rabbit hole sees the truth and wants to expose the truth? That's what we are here for. This is what we are all about. And this is what I love about this community. So please share this wide as you can to anybody. doesn't even have to be a Bitcoiner, right? It could be anybody. And let's hope that Pascal's work is recognized and some mainstream media outlets start picking up on it. I've just been tweeted actually in my DMs that I think it's just hit a Swiss mainstream media newspaper. So fingers crossed that this truth will come out. The story, the stories will come. Um, Anyway, thank you everybody for listening. You know who to support. It's Swan Bitcoin, Relay, Coin Corner, Hoddle Hoddle. If you want to run an experiment through a coin join service, wasabiwallet.io and the Bitbox. Get yourself nice and safe. Get those sats off the exchanges and off the apps. Use the Bitbox 02 hardware wallet, Bitcoin only edition by Shift Crypto. Get yourselves to a conference, BTC Miami or BTC Prague. Hit up the links in the show notes. Use the code BITTEN very widely and you will get some discounts. Take care, guys. Thank you for listening.